Hello from Brooklyn, I'm Brendan Hart, and welcome to Super Cities, a no BS deep dive conversation about the people and trends moving cities forward. All views expressed are my own and do not reflect our sponsors or partners. Let's get into it. On this episode of Super Cities, we do a deep dive with James Weinberg, CEO of FuseCore. We cover Fuse's national model, justice and policing reform in cities, and making cities more equitable. James has been the CEO of FuseCore since 2014 and currently serves as the national board chair of Coro. Let's hear from James. And, and so when did you join uh, FuseCore and, and what about the, the organization did, did you find important and valuable? Yeah, so FuseCore is the fifth or sixth uh, venture that I've been a part of. I did a uh, got an opportunity to work in Pittsburgh around homeless children's educational uh, needs. Then uh, worked at a national nonprofit based in Boston uh, called Bell that does after school and summer tutoring and mentoring programs uh, for elementary school students. I started a, a search firm called Common Good Careers that works with social entrepreneurs around bringing talent into their organizations and saw uh, how powerful it was if you got the right leader in the right role and how that could unlock the potential of an organization and ultimately serve a much larger population. Uh, then started a management consulting firm called Achieve Mission to help those same nonprofits and foundations to think through how they were approaching leadership development in their organizations and got a chance to uh, work with some of the founders of FuseCore at the same time that I was being exposed to some of the work that was happening in government, both at the local and the federal level. And as somebody who has constantly sought out uh, the biggest leverage opportunities to have the most significant change for the greatest number of people, when you look at the potential that exists in getting those right leaders uh, into transformative roles in government, you can very quickly impact the lives of millions of individuals. And so that was incredibly compelling. I joined FuseCore as CEO uh, about a little over four years ago. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, FuseCore's model? H- how does the, the the program work and how does the organization operate? Sure. So the program is all about partnering with local government to try to provide them with additional leadership capacity so that they can better serve the members of their community. Our projects are each completely distinct and unique, although we're running 40 or 50 of them in more than a dozen cities at any given time. Uh, But the program model is to start in dialogue with our local government partners about the issues that they are prioritizing, the challenges that they are facing, the places where they need additional leadership capacity. And that can be projects as broad as uh, police reform, uh, healthcare access, transportation, infrastructure, public uh, private partnerships and financing, workforce development, economic development, whatever our city partners need, we craft a specific year long project for a leader with the background of their choosing. And they mean they might need somebody who's a business generalist. They might need somebody who's a financing specialist. They could need somebody who is adept at communications or strategic planning, but they craft the vision for what they need. Then we go out and 
meet and run a national executive search to try to find the talent for that particular role. On average, we're getting over a thousand applications per year uh, for those 40 or 50 slots. And part of our job is to narrow it down to try to find the people who are the best potential fit for that role. We bring in several finalists and let our governments choose who they want to be their fellow. And then we try to provide both our government partners and that individual as much coaching and support as we can over the course of the fellowship year to make sure that each project can have the biggest potential impact. And so as you engage your your government partners for this year-long project, is it a collaborative process to scope uh, the parameters of the project or does the city partner come to FuseCore and, uh, with a problem and then part of, of FuseCore's value is that you all scope the, the, the project and pair the project with an executive partner? So everything that we do really has a strong collaborative element to it. When we're scoping a project, we will often start in conversation with a city or a county leader about what their challenge is. And so that conversation might start with a mayor or a city manager or a county executive, and then we get referred to a department head. When we're scoping a project, we will try to bring the two, three, five, seven people who are working most closely on that project. Sometimes they're all in one team, sometimes they're spread out about multiple departments, and they may never have had a conversation together about what the common elements of their challenges are. But we will basically conduct a series of interviews to guide them through a scoping process and talk about some of the biggest challenges, some of the opportunities, the places where they would most like to see change occur, the places where uh, change might face its greatest barriers. Ultimately, we're trying to get a distinct set of deliverables so that we know what success will look like in every project. That aids us in the recruiting process so we can go find people who are best situated to be successful in those roles. Uh, But it also provides some guidance for both our government partners and our fellows as they go into the partnership together about what success was initially defined to entail. That being said, we ask each of our fellows to go on a listening tour during their first couple months and speak with as many different stakeholders as possible. So that may be uh, certainly leaders uh, in their host government, but it may be multiple layers of government. It could be town, city, county, state, federal. It could be working across multiple um, departments. It could be working across multiple geographies to compare and contrast the ways that communities in other parts of the country are even other parts of the world have been addressing this challenge. It's absolutely about taking a deep dive into the community itself to speak with community leaders and representatives, people who from the private sector, from the social sector, uh, from chambers of commerce, from foundations and educational institutions, and they will bring back all of those perspectives in conversation with the host agency as they revisit the scope of work and then redefine the deliverables over which they will spend the remaining portion of their fellowship pursuing those goals. Great. 
So I want to dig into this model, but first I want, I want to talk or ask you about your your fellows and, sure. and the process of recruiting fellows. What it, what is a typical fellows profile? Are they mid career? Do they tend to have a particular set of experiences or credentials? How do you evaluate fellows for for these particular assignments? Yeah. So I would say because each of our projects is completely unique and the person who has had a career in marketing communications with a passion for healthcare, who's based in um, Los Angeles, is gonna be a completely different profile than the finance executive who's worked in infrastructure financing in New York City and is relocating for a project in Cleveland or New Orleans. Um, so each project is a search for a different type of person. And some of them are at different stages in their careers. They enter the program for different reasons and different narratives. But if I were trying to draw a trend line around what some of the most common elements of our fellows are. They are almost entirely mid-career. Uh, we tend to average fellows are about 20 years out of college. Um, some of them are, are 15 years out of college. Some of them are 30 years out of college, 40 years out of college. So it can, it can really range. Um, but on average, about 20 years out, they're often um, making well into the six figures in a senior leadership position, often in the Fortune 500. Many of them have graduate degrees like an MBA or similar. Um, but the, there are some common traits across all of our, our projects and, and thus across all of our fellows. So first of all, no one is on sabbatical. This is not a project for somebody who's looking to take a year off and then return uh, to their day job. This work will invariably be amongst the hardest work that they have ever done in their entire lives. The only way to be successful in an environment as challenging as the one in which most of our fellows find themselves is to be deeply passionate. So we're looking for folks who say to us, I've spent the last 10 years wondering if there's some nonprofit that I should go work for, or if there's somebody who wants a person with a background like mine who can help me to ultimately fulfill my higher purpose, to make the world a better place, to serve my community. These are people with deep, deep passion. Um, and then I would say there's a, a, a series of core competencies that we have found sets people up for success almost irrespective of the nature of their particular job. So emotional intelligence and emotional resiliency are incredibly important in these projects. Our fellows are gonna deal with a wide array of stakeholders. They need to be able to forge deep trust-based relationships very quickly with community leaders and corporate leaders and government leaders. Um, and that requires the ability to um, really be self-aware and, and understand the dynamics, be able to approach uh, the work with a lot of humility. The fellows bring a tremendous amount of competency and skill set, experience and education, but they have to understand that they are working with people who have spent their lives living these issues, working on these challenges, um, and they are there to help as much as they can in the course of a year. It's really a servant leadership opportunity. They need to have very high levels of grit and uh, 
determination and perseverance. We look for people who are really results oriented, who are going to be folk, stay focused despite a lot of dynamism in the situation. We look for entrepreneurship. So, you know, those are some of the, the characteristics that we're looking for when we're talking uh, with, again, over a thousand people a year to try to narrow it down and select the 4% who are best suited for each particular project and for the fellowship as a whole. I'm sure it's a fascinating group, but it takes a, a a special person to, at that point in their career, sort of contribute to the public good, right? Um, which is just an incredible filter if, if we think about um, skills and interest and um, and intent. Just the, the the ability to contribute is um, is really meaningful. The sacrifice, the risk, the change in life and lifestyle that these fellows undergo and pursue in order to become a Fuse Fellow is so inspiring in and of itself. The fact that they are stepping into such a new environment for them and that they are willing to step up to that leadership opportunity and say, you know, I may not have total understanding, um, but I understand enough that this is what I've been waiting for. We have uh, candidates every year who say that they thought uh, when we reach out to them in our recruiting process that this was a joke put on by their friends because this is what they've been saying for years they're looking for. And then somehow we found them and it's exactly what they always wanted. Um, and that's, you know, usually a really good indicator that we're on the right track for a good match. That's great. It's a great anecdote. So you, so you've been in this space for for a long time. You've been leading FuseCore for four years. It seems to me that there's a real, um, call it renaissance or emergence of city-based problem solving. Yeah, that that there's a a sort of national movement to uh, capture the importance of cities generally, but but really drive impact locally. Are you seeing that? Is, is, is that sort of a, a resonant point to FuseCore and your fellows? I think without question, uh, that's the case. It is what compelled the founding of this organization. It's what's driven the growth of this organization. Increasingly, I'm um, encouraged by the growth of our field. We have peers um, who are doing phenomenal work in, in related spaces. Um, so it really feels like there is a whole network of organizations and leaders pursuing this space. But um, I think there have been a whole range of societal factors leading us to this point, an era of, of really strong uh, local government uh, problem solving, community-based problem solving. I think on the one hand, um, the country has been urbanizing for decades. Uh, we now have over 80% of our population living in cities. Um, globally, the number is growing um, at an astonishing rate. Uh, people moving from rural communities and even suburban communities, which, which had been growing for decades, now a, a, a regrowth of the urban core. Um, and so I think as these populations become more and more diverse, their challenges are distinct. Um, there's a dynamic energy in cities. We've seen uh, problem solving at the federal level either stagnating for, for decades in, in various ways, 
uh, an effort by multiple administrations from, from both parties to shrink the size of government and recognize that local problem solving is the way to have those, those problems addressed. Uh, because they are unique, you need specifically tailored solutions. Um, and so that has driven a lot of this. But under this administration in particular, there has been a compelling opportunity for cities to step up into housing spaces, health spaces, environmental spaces that have not traditionally been the purview of cities. So I think um, the degree of, of urbanism, the diversity, the, the rate of change in our society, globalism and technology really um, accelerating the rate at which the change is occurring in the needs of the people um, and the expectations that your local government leaders will be the ones who are addressing not just your potholes and getting your trash picked up, but uh, the full spectrum of needs in your lives. It's an exciting time for cities. It certainly is. It certainly is. And the, the, the data is compelling. But over the next 20 or 30 years, uh, I think that two and a half billion people globally will be moving into cities. Three quarters of, of energy consumption globally happens in cities. Yes. Something like 80% of global GDP is generated in cities. Cities are, are drivers of, of culture, drivers of, of the economy. And so th this seems to me to be the sort of value proposition of cities um, seems to be uh, pretty straightforward or or maybe pretty obvious to to us that that think about this, but but I often have conversations with with people who don't don't sort of work in the city space and and they think of cities as as overly bureaucratic, sort of slow to move, maybe slow to address. The, some of these fast, fast-moving issues. Do you all have uh, have have you come across a, a sort of certain set of bottlenecks at a city level, whether it's procurement or decision making or or public policy that sort of hinder the on-the-ground innovation? Well, I, I would honestly push back against some of those. Um, I, I think very common misunderstandings of local government. Um, and I think that there's um, there's a lot of stigma and outdated understanding of the way that local government works. And, you know, I also want to really address whether or not slowness is, is a intrinsically good or bad thing. Um, but let me let me start by saying when Fuse was founded, we were in an experimental phase for our first several years. We had fellows working at the city level, the county level, the state level, the federal level. We had fellows in the White House. I think we felt that the opportunity to work at the city and the county level was where um, the bureaucracy was least in the way, um, where you could get the most work done, change systems more quickly for more people, um, and ultimately have a bigger impact. So we really, you know, through our own experimental um, and experiential testing, really came to the conclusion that local is where you can do the most um, rapid transformation work. And that is incredibly exciting. And I also think that we work with some of the most innovative brilliant, 
um, dynamic people that I have ever worked with in any sector. So, um, you know, it takes a lot of people to run any large institution. Uh, something like a large city is going to require a lot of bureaucracy in order to function effectively. But um, the key is how do you make sure that the bureaucracy can still continue to change, be responsive, be um, dynamic, and be willing to take some risks, uh, which is really required for change to occur in the first place. And I think there's a tremendous amount of innovation happening in local government right now, and it is moving remarkably quickly for what it is. You know, there's that old metaphor about the rate at which an oil tanker uh, can change course in the ocean under full steam. It takes a while to, to change a large institution. But the other thing is about, you know, the very nature of the work that government is doing and, and local government, uh, to be sure. Local government holds the lives, health and welfare of its residents in their hands in, in every decision. Um, you can make decisions quickly and have a very large unintended consequence. You think about, you know, a small cost-saving measure around um, water expense in a, in a community like Flint, Michigan, and the number of communities that are dealing with um, lead poisoning in their water. You know, there are all these examples of communities that have moved too quickly and without uh, deep informed consent from their community members. Uh, and you get into a situation where you can get real blowback. You can even really risk people's lives. So, you know, I want my government to be methodical. I want my government to be careful in the way that it crafts policy and implements and enacts that policy. But I also want it to be capable of changing over time as new opportunities arise, as new needs arise, as new new ways of solving problems are proven out in other communities. All that makes makes a lot of sense. Over the course of, of your time at, at, at FuseCore and as, as you think about sort of emerging challenges and opportunities in cities, what are some topics that feel sort of ripe for for large-scale change um, in cities. I, I find this a, a, to be a in, fascinating sort of idea space, right? Because yeah. cities, sort of everything touches cities. And so whether we talk about housing or energy or economic development yeah. or social justice, in different cities, those things are happening at different rates. But, yeah. you, but you have a great view because you are your organization is in so many places and you are not topically focused i think you you have a you have a great perspective what 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 sort of excites you most about where cities are and where they're going yeah well it's a, it's a great question and it's a really fun topic to discuss and i appreciate you bringing it up and you're right, um, there, um, there is a lot happening right now to choose from. So I think in no particular order, because I would never be able to say one of these is more important than another, but a few that are really exciting us right now. One is certainly we are living in a period of profound inequality with regard to economic opportunity and distribution of wealth. And so the actions that cities are taking to um, raise minimum wages, uh, prevent wage theft, 
to ensure affordable housing opportunities, um, to uh, provide workforce training, um, everything that we can do to create opportunity, lift up um, those who are at the lower end of an economic spectrum, um, and make cities more equitable places to live. Everyone who lives in a city should be able to afford access to housing, to healthcare. They should be able to pursue education and professional development. They should be able to work a standard work week and bring home a living wage that can support um, a family uh, in, a, in a current environment. I think we're, we really need to catch up with uh, the needs of our lowest income population members. So I think that whole space is incredibly important for all cities right now. Um, and it is where some of the most exciting work exists. I would also say, I think there is an increasing recognition uh, of the inequities and injustices that have uh, been part of our society for centuries uh, and that go all the way back to the history of race relations and, and the history of um, slavery through civil rights uh, through to the current day in this country. So a lot of cities are embracing racial equity training, um, thinking through the policies that they have, the ways in which you know, intrinsic bias has really bled into uh, policies that uh, perpetuate inequities along racial lines and maintain lack of economic mobility for certain populations. In particular, I'm finding some really exciting work in justice reform. So the cities that are working around community-based police reform who are shifting from um, thinking about things in a law enforcement uh, lens and going towards a public health crisis lens. So the extent to which we can bring in social workers instead of police officers, the extent to which we can address things like the opioid crisis as a public health challenge, that the dependence on a drug is the root of the problem. It's not something you can just police uh, to right. a solution space. Um, rethinking it at the, particularly at the county level, um, how sentencing is done. Um, and uh, what opportunities exist to really remediate people who are in the criminal justice system and prevent re recidivism after they leave, ban the box initiatives to increase employment access for those who are coming out of the criminal justice system. So I'd say that's another place where there's incredibly exciting work happening in cities. And then I think there are the other places that tend to get a lot of attention because they are um, technologically driven, exciting concepts. What is the future of transportation in an autonomous vehicle world? What is the future of data analysis and results-driven policymaking in an internet of things environment where you can hook up every, um, uh, you know, traffic light uh, is, a, is a hot spot and you're getting data back. What do you do with all that data? How do you secure all that data? How do you ensure privacy of, of residents and community members? Um, so I think the whole technology-driven uh, re-envisioning of society, communities, and cities is also very exciting. But I, I don't know if it's as socially important and um, morally compelling as some of those issues around economic inequality and around justice reform. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and, and at some level, we, we would hope that those, those two things are interconnected.
right? Yeah. The 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 idea of of being able to to leverage technology to drive more equality uh, in cities is 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 I think a the a sort of best case scenario where we're we're not sort of prioritizing one or the other. We're 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 thinking holistically about about how to really just to drive progress in our communities um, at at the basic level. So as you think about the the sort of growth of FuseCore and and where the organization is going and how you can grow your partnerships with your existing uh, host agencies and and bring on additional cities and additional agencies, how do you think about going from X to 10X and what that what that looks like in terms of sort of scaling solutions or sourcing the right and the appropriate number of people. What, what are some of the challenges in, in, in growing FuseCore, the organization over the next number of years? Yeah, well, it's certainly something that um, our team is spending a lot of time thinking about and, and building capacity around. I mean, we went from X to 10X in the last four years. Um, so we literally just went through that process and we'll do it yeah. again, um, more likely than not in, in the next uh, four to eight years, we will, we will 10X again. We certainly think about expanding the number of communities that we work with. We'd like to have the greatest geographic diversity possible. So, um, you know, we have done more work in California than anywhere else. There is something specific to uh, local government in California where they really embrace and innovation agenda, I think, earlier and more actively than some of their peers around the country. Not to say that's the only place exciting change is occurring, far from it, but there is an intensity of that in in California. But we think about reaching the East Coast, we think about reaching the center of the country, we think about going to communities um, that uh, we have not uh, don't traditionally see getting these kinds of opportunities. We're really excited about a conversation in Wichita, Kansas right now. We've loved our work in Cleveland and Pittsburgh and uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, St. Uh, Louis and, and New Orleans. Um, so trying to get to many more cities, many more geographic parts, large cities, small cities, working on a broader array of issues. We will continue to increase the number of fellows. Uh, right now we're placing about 50 people a year. We'll be placing 100 a year within two years. Uh, that number will, will probably continue to rise, but not indefinitely. But I would say there's also a reckoning. Uh, there always has been as we thought about what our organization's theory of change uh, is and could be that even as we scale, we will only be working in a fraction of the communities on a small percentage of the number of issues that we would ultimately like to be working on, and that our greatest potential for impact really lies in a solutions journalism space. I mean, a space that, that you occupy and do some phenomenal work in. Storytelling, I think, is the way that we can ultimately have the biggest impact. If we are placing, you know, a, a hundred, a couple hundred people a year, we will be generating at least that many um, stories of what worked, what didn't work, what was tried, what we learned, what we adapted from another community, what we would suggest to be adapted in other communities. And if we can find a way of capturing a lot of that insight and sharing it with a broad audience, um, ultimately we see um, civic leaders 
leaders as being both government leaders as well as leaders of community groups and private sector and small companies, big companies, the social sector, philanthropy, educational institutions. If all of those people who make up the potential, we're, we're big believers in the importance of cross-sector collaboration and the power of collective impact when you get many stakeholders aligned around a common set of goals. Um, if we can share some of these ideas with all of those folks, whether or not they ever work with a Fuse Fellow, if they're inspired to think differently, reimagine what's possible, try something new in their community, say, well, if it worked there, we could do this here, then I think that will be our, that will be our 10x, our 100x, our 1,000x contribution, uh, and ultimately uh, the, the biggest potential that we have to, to make a, a real dent in the country. It's, a, it's such an important point. I, I often talk about and think about the, the idea of sort of scaling ideas and participation. And if you, if you think about um, institutions of higher education, um, they tend to not really drive student interest to cities in this sort of interesting way. Mm. Um, they, they talk about national policies a lot. They talk about technologies a lot. They talk about economics a lot. But, <laughs> but if you think about, about sort of core academic pillars, it's, it's strangely detached from cities in, in, in most cases. Uh, there's some sort of urban planning stuff and mm -hmm. there's urban policy stuff. But for the most part, I think the, the, the collective community has not done a great job of doing what you're describing, which is creating and distributing a rich textured narrative uh, about cities, about communities, about the opportunity for individuals to drive real positive change uh, on a local level. It feels like that's a, that's a big opportunity that compounds all of the important work that, that we've discussed so far. Yeah, I, you know, I agree there's a real opportunity there. I think to a certain extent there has been um, a breakdown in the media marketplace. I'm not sure that, you know, the kinds of stories that, that we're sharing and, uh, and that maybe interest us always, um, you know, sell advertising to large audiences and so get overlooked or local news does uh, feel good pieces, but they don't go into the depth of really trying to study an issue. The kind of um, academic research that has taken place in think tanks and in uh, business schools, you know, I think about the, the kind of coverage that uh, gets done in, in something like the Harvard Business Review, uh, deep case study work. Um, there's not, there hasn't been a lot of mechanism for that, and there certainly could be. We're not getting enough of these stories out there, but um, part of the uh, encouragement that I have is been a trend in the, and you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit outside of my field here, but I would say briefly, a trend in the education industry towards um, service learning, towards experiential education, using um, the community as a laboratory, getting students out of the classroom and into practical experience. Most universities are located um, in and near urban uh, centers, and so there is an increasing opportunity for those partnerships. And as we start to break down the silo walls 
that exists between all sectors, but particularly, I think, around local government, where uh, people believe it to be inaccessible because there is not a high rate of exchange of both talent and ideas. Um, as we start to get more traffic flow of talent moving in and out of government and to other sectors and to education, um, and ideas moving in and out of these spaces, um, we can sort of pull back the veil about how these cities work and get, a, it's, it's ultimately, it's fascinating, it's where people are most passionate is the change in their community and seeing their issues, those of their family members and friends being met um, or the lack thereof, and, and that drives a lot of enthusiasm. So I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that we'll continue to see more activity in that space. I'm hopeful as well. I, I, you you make a good point, and and in some ways, I I think cities are are tend to be sort of relative to call it the federal government, right? And um, and you made a, a similar point before, but but I think it's worth repeating this idea that both you're able to feel and touch and and understand local change. Um, and and you're invested in contributing to um, to your community, and the idea that the national politics feels broken or dysfunctional, I think, allows this this interesting white space for cities to to continue to emerge um, as as the agents of change, sort of separate and distinct from you know, the, the sort of political warfare that we see on, on the national news every day. And yeah. if there's a, a contingent or a, um, you know, a mechanism or platform that, that can drive this local narrative, I think it, it, it leverages all of the good work that's, that's happening everywhere, right? It's a, it's a really powerful concept. Right. And I mean, you know, to take one example of that, I think there's an argument to be made that um, the existential crisis of our time is going to be um, the effects of climate change. Um, cities, many of them are, are coastal communities or in places where there is the potential for water insecurity, uh, where droughts and fires um, play a role, where we've seen heat waves and polar vortexes um, literally costing lives um, in the streets. And at the national level, at the international level, that is a highly political and highly partisan debate. At the local level, it's just about meeting people's needs. Um, and I think that's solving problems. Things. Yeah, solving <laughs> problems. Um, you know, mayors say, I don't get to run away from my constituents. They're going to come up to me in the grocery store, whether I like it or not. They are worried about these things. They want to be part of the solution. They want to know what we're doing about it. And so, you know, when you think about, you know, where is the laboratory of, of green energy jobs? Um, where is there some really innovative work taking place to shift? Where, where can you shift the way governments are um, interfacing? The closer you get to the local level, the more opportunity there is to do some meaningful and exciting work. And then in the aggregate, um, you have the vast majority of the population of this country engaged in those kinds of activities. And that's where I think the exciting solution space exists. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a powerful point. We're, we're running up on time, but uh, a couple of rapid fire questions, if, sure. uh, if, if you don't mind. Where can uh, listeners 
find out more about you and uh, FuseCore? Yeah. So uh, we try to put as much as we can on our website, FuseCore.org. For some reason, uh, we really struggle with the spelling, uh, but it's F-U-S-E-C-O-R-P-S dot O-R-G. And are there, are there cities or examples or, or, or problems being solved in cities that, that listeners should, should pay attention to? You mentioned water in Flint. Um, I know there's a lot of economic de- development work happening in, in, in New York. Do, do any other examples come to mind briefly? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to choose uh, amongst the partners and projects that sure. we're working on because so many of them are exciting. But sure. uh, we have 18 uh, cities and counties that we're partnering with around the country. They're all posted up on our website. If you Great. link there, you can see the projects that exist in each one of those communities. You can also look at all the work that we've ever done on an issue-based um, search. So you can click around if you're passionate about healthcare projects or workforce projects or transportation projects, infrastructure projects. You can find all that on our website uh, at FuseCore.org. Oh, that's great. The, the, the website is 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 uh, content rich. It's uh, it's Thank actually a, a really great. Uh, <laughs> We've been working on that. <laughs> yeah, it's a re- it's a really great uh, uh, online presence. So keep up the good work, James. This was uh, a real pleasure. Um, I, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for your your work at uh, at FuseCore and and for allowing us to uh, to help tell your story. Brandon, thank you. I'm a huge fan of Super Cities, and and I'm so uh, excited to uh, continue to hear all of your your great thought leadership in this space. Thanks so much, Jake. That does it for this episode of Super Cities. Before we go, some real talk. Cities feel broken, too expensive, too crowded, too chaotic. So we created Super Cities to elevate the people and trends moving cities forward. This movement is just getting started, so please rate, review, and subscribe to Super Cities and tag us using hashtag SuperCities. Your support really helps, and I'm thankful for it. This is Brendan Hart and Super Cities, signing off for now.